Good morning, Evangel. It's a good day, yes? You want to say it with me? One, two, three. It's a... Nice. You know, I've been laughing because I said that just as a fluke, one of the first Sundays that I was here, and it stuck. And it's a good day. But today, I've just been so impacted, both the first service and the second service, um, that some of the songs that we sang, they were just about God He's a good God, you know, and just a good, good father. It's who he is. And I just was impacted by that. And I think it matters today. And so I want to pray before we start. And I'm, I'm going to take the offering later. So don't anybody panic and get totally distracted and miss the next half hour because you think I forgot. I didn't forget. It's going to be at the end. Okay. But I want you to just hold out your hands. Would you just as a sign of openness, a symbol of openness to God. And let's just, let's just pray just for a moment. God, today feels important to me. And um, I'm so impacted by your goodness. You're a good, good God. You're a good, good Father. You're perfect in everything that you do. You, God, we are loved by you. It's who we are. That's our identity. That's who we are. So this morning, we welcome in um, that truth of your goodness of your absolute, solid, unfailing goodness towards us. We ask you, God, to help us hear your word through that grid and that framework. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been doing this um, series on Sunday mornings, and I started it a few weeks ago, and it's called One Fantastic Church. So you got to do what I tell you to do every Sunday. Turn to the person beside you and say, this is One Fantastic Church church. You have to actually do it. Don't nod and smile at me. Turn the person beside you. One fantastic church. Now turn the person on the other side and tell them you are part of one fantastic church. Because it is. This is one fantastic church. Yes. Yes. There's somebody over here that thinks it's fantastic. The rest of you, you're weighing it out. You'll let me know at the end of the service. But we've been talking for a few weeks about this. And we talked um, several weeks ago about me watching um, the Thanksgiving community dinner and, and then seeing some of our elders at work and seeing other things happening and saying, wow, this is so amazing. Thank you for doing what you're doing. And people said, do you remember? They shrugged and went like this and said, it's what we do, right? Which is just a fantastic statement to hear in a church congregation. It's just what we do. And we've been talking about that. And we talked about, we've been, we've been sort of doing this series loosely based on the book of Acts, which is the, the story of the first new church. After Jesus' death and resurrection, he went back to heaven. And this, this new church was born and started spreading over all the place. And here we are 2,000 years later still in a church. And so we've been looking at the story of that early church, that very first church, and then loosely bouncing off it to talk about how we function here in this church, in this local church. And so so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how they gathered together every week and they, they ate together and they prayed together and they collected um, an offering to look after each other together and they did read scripture together and how there had to be somebody that organized that and somebody that did the grocery shopping and somebody that did whatever. And we used that to talk about the staff and the structure that we have here at Evangel. And I brought up here our whole awesome staff team, fantastic staff team and our fantastic board and lead team, just so that you could see all that was there. And so we did that. And then last week, um, we talked about the story from Acts chapter 6, about how we said, you know, there was the Greek-speaking Christians, and there were the Hebrew-speaking Christians, and they were getting on each other's nerves, and one felt that one was, they weren't being looked after by the others, and blah, blah, blah. And, and the apostles, instead of just solving it themselves, they handed it off to the church and said, well, 
solve it, right? This is important. This really matters. So pray and find some leaders and let's, let's solve this thing and make sure that everyone's being looked after. And we talked about how that being part of a local church is not, um, you know, us playing the game, the football game up here and all the spectators in the stands out there. We're all on the field, all playing the game. Yes? Yes. And so that's what we've been talking about. And we pulled together our elders this week and had a great meeting. Pastor Pauline and Pastor Rob and me had a great meeting with our elders who, who do visitation and who make phone calls and who pray for you and all of that kind of stuff. And, and it was just fantastic. It's, it's just a fantastic church. So today we're going to continue with that series and we're going to look at Acts chapter four. And I'm just telling you again, it's going to be ultra practical. Okay. Say that with me. Ultra practical. Turn the person beside you, go ultra practical. Okay. And we're going to look at Acts chapter four and start at verse 32. Here's what it says. All the believers were united in heart and in mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. What? What? There are just two crazy things in there, two huge statements. They were one in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, and so they shared everything they had. Those are just, you could just do a whole sermon series just on those two statements. Just awesome what's there. There's this revolutionary thought that's really easy to miss, and this idea that, that all the believers were united in heart and mind. That's powerful, you guys. Anytime a group of people gets together and they're in unity together in their heart and in their mind, huge things happen. You can look in the, in the world and in world history and around the globe and all that, and you could see times when people come together, not just in Christian faith, but if they come together in unity over almost anything, huge things happen. Oppression gets thrown off, or governments get changed, or all kinds of things can be, can be shifted or changed in history just because people rise up and they come together and they have this unity together. And this is what happened in this church. People felt a sense of belonging. They felt there was a sense of meaning meaning and purpose in life. You know, we're not created to just be individual, separate people all going our separate ways. We're, we're people that, that we need community and we need togetherness. We were created to function together. Yes? Yes. And so in this first church that we were reading about in Acts chapter 4, it says, all the believers were united in heart and mind. Now, let me give you a little context. This is, this happened right after the apostles, the leaders of this first church, they got in trouble. They got hauled before the religious authorities, hauled into religious court, and they're told, don't you speak about Jesus anymore. You can't do that. And then they released them and sent them back. And so the apostles came back to this first early church and they all prayed together because they had been told you're going to be in big trouble if you keep on speaking about Jesus. And so they prayed together and I love it. There's a whole separate message in here, but I just love that they prayed together and they didn't pray, oh God, rescue us. They didn't pray for deliverance from the, you know, from the mean people. They didn't pray that, that God would somehow just make everything easy for them. No. You know what they prayed for? Boldness. They prayed for boldness that they would be able to just keep on doing what they had been doing because what they were doing was right. That's a fantastic church. That's just awesome. And when they prayed that, it says in Acts, the whole place they were in shook, and it was just so clear that God was there. And the result now, as we look at this scripture, the result was unity. 
unity in heart and mind. And everybody goes, unity, yeah, that's my kind of church. That is one fantastic church, right? And then there's a second uh, result that happens from this prayer and from this moment of God. We're going to come back to that, but let me jump to the third one, then we'll come back to the second one. Verse 33, the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. Love it. So they prayed for boldness. They prayed for boldness to keep doing what they were supposed to be doing and to tell people about Jesus, and it's done. And we go, that is my kind of church. That is one fantastic church. They got unity, yeah. And then they got boldness, yeah. And here's the third result. Get ready to cheer, okay? Verse 34, there were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And everyone just goes silent. And somebody goes, you know, I'll tell you, Pastor Patty, we need that kind of church again. We need an early church. We need a Holy Spirit church. We need that church like the first one was where they had unity and where they had boldness. And I go, and they also had generosity. And they go, oh, here we go. The pastor's going to talk about money again. And she's probably, I knew we got an extra hours of sleep last night. I should have just stayed in bed and skipped church today. She's probably going to take an offering at the end of the service too. Yes, I am. Turn to the person beside you and just go, yes, she is. Yes, she is. It's part of belonging to one fantastic church. So listen, let me just tell you, generosity is a way of life for followers of Jesus. It just is generosity is a way of life for followers of Jesus. And it is a fantastic way of life. It is an exciting way of life. It is a joyful way of life. There is nothing more fun than living generously. And I'm telling you, this is not just, you know, trying to sell. I'm telling you from experience. It's a way of life that says, you know what? I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid that there won't be enough. I'm not afraid that God won't provide. I'm not afraid that everything's going to fall apart. I'm going to, I'm grateful and, and content and thankful for a roof that's over my head and for food that's on the table. And I serve a good, good God who's looking after me. And it is my pleasure to live with intentional, sacrificial generosity in my life. It's a fantastic way of life to live intentionally, sacrificially generous. And you go, seriously? Sacrificially? Yeah. Look at verse 36. For instance, there was Joseph, the one that the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi, and he came from the island of Cyprus, and he sold a field that he owned, and he brought the money to the apostles. Now, I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not telling you to walk out of here, sell your stuff, and bring the money to the church. I'm not telling you to do that. I am telling you that did happen in some way in the first church. In the early church, people sold some of the extra that they had, or they had sold some of what they had, or they gave sacrificially, and they brought it to the church. And I'm not telling you to do that, but I'm telling you it happened. 
Jeff and I, my husband and I, we've been married almost 25 years, and, and we live this out in, a, in our own similar way, a little bit different, but a little bit, but I just want to be honest with you today so that you know what I'm talking about. When Jeff and I moved here um, just a year ago, about this week, we moved here and we, we sold our house in Hamilton where we had come from. Now our house, somebody goes, oh, I bet they lived in a mansion in Hamilton. <laughs> Have you ever seen a one-bedroom house? We had it. We had a one-bedroom house, and it was in the wrong part of town, on the wrong side of the tracks, and God gave it to us. We just knew he gave it to us, and we bought it, you know, eight years before, and we loved it, and it was a great, ridiculous little house, and when we sold it in order to come here, God, it just, that's a whole story, and it sold in 36 hours, and, and we, we got this, we got a profit off it, and we were grateful for it, and I want you to know that from that profit, first of all, the first thing we did was we tithed that profit. We gave 10% of the profit to our local church because that's what we do. Jeff and I have been together, married for nearly 25 years. For 25 years, we tithe. We give 10% of any income that we get, all of it, to the local church. And so we did that with the profit. And then we dedicated another significant piece of that profit to a specific missions project that we had in mind and, and that we wanted to give to that we felt God was doing. And now with what's left, now we're living in a place where we're renting, but we're looking for a place, a permanent place that God has for us based on what we have left. And somebody goes, Patty, that's, that's dumb. That's unwise. You shouldn't do that. You should take care of yourself first, and then whatever is left over, you give that away. We disagree. Respectfully disagree. We live in a materialistic, consumeristic, individualistic world, and when you live in a world like that, can I just tell you, there's never anything left over. Never. Because a materialistic, consumeristic, individualistic world says, I need more, I must have more, there's not enough, and it has to be all for me. And so if, you, if we function according to those principles, then there's never going to be any leftovers. So yes, you use financial wisdom, of course. Yes, you create a reasonable budget. Do we do that? Yes, you make sure you pay your bills. For goodness sake, pay your bills. Hello, pay your bills. That's a good thing to do. But... It is our pleasure, as well as those things, to, to, as part of our faith, to live with intentional generosity and to give first as followers of Jesus. It's part of our faith. It's what we do. And there is something, I'm telling you, there is something tremendously freeing about that. There is something amazingly joyful about that when we develop this mindset of just giving and of just living generously, and going, God has given me so much, and of loving the privilege of using what God has given us to be able to give back, and to do God's work, and bring good to our world, and so it's just, it's just this amazing thing, and, and so I say to you, this scripture that we're looking at today, which is talking about prayer, and being filled with the Holy Spirit, and God's adding to their numbers, and the place where they were shook, this idea of giving, and being generous, is woven right in there, It's woven right, it's directly related to being filled with the Holy Spirit and to praying and all that. And so I say to you ever so gently and ever so nicely without making eye contact with anyone, okay? Don't tell me that you want to see God move. Don't tell me that you want to see a church that is bold in speaking the gospel and in telling people about Jesus. Don't tell me that you want to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus, just like that early church in Acts, if it doesn't change how you handle your finances. Don't tell me. It's gone awfully silent in here. 
This is not the kind of sermon that gets a lot of amens. But I'm telling you, our faith should lead us to live generously. Not in the future. Not when there's leftovers. Right now, in the place that we're in, every single day living in a way that gives. Followers of Jesus understand that what we have is God's. All of it. And he's given it to us. And we are responsible then to use it for his purposes. That first church was one fantastic church. Right from the start, they gave. Right from the beginning, they knew that everything they had was God's anyway. Right from the start, they looked after each other and made sure that people were taken care of. It was just part of belonging to the church. If you'd asked them about it, they would have said, it's what we do. Turn the person beside you and just go, it's what we do. If you're not comfortable saying that, just go, well, it's what Pastor Patty does. <laughs> Followers of Jesus understand that what we have is God's. And followers of Jesus give through their local church. Now, they might give other places as well, no question. But followers of Jesus give through and to their local church because that is the way of life for God's people. And if you go through all of Scripture, you look through the Old Testament, which is the part before Jesus, you will see that there were patterns of giving. It was just what they did, where they gave to and through the local temple. And then after, in the New Testament, when Jesus was on earth, he talked about giving. And then after he went and the early church was born, the giving was always, it was just a way of life to and through the local church because they highly valued their gathering. They highly valued the faith that brought them all together. And they wanted, they knew that all the good that happened through it mattered. And somebody says, oh, here we go. What good comes out of churches gathering together. All they do is come together in a building like this into this little bubble, and everybody knows that the church is just hoarding money. How many have ever heard somebody say something like that? right? Everybody knows the church is just asking for money. That's all they do. Everybody knows that the churches, they don't do the community any good. They don't pay any property tax. And if you give, you get a break on your income taxes. And so there's this myth out there that churches actually take away from a community, that they're not good for a community. They take away from it. There's a myth out there. And here's what I want you to know. It's a myth. It's not true. I'm going to give you some information right now, and you want to take notes on this because somebody's going to ask you, and you're going to wish that you had taken notes. Churches bring good to their communities. Churches bring good to their communities. Churches add to the community that they're in, whether they're meeting the needs of people that are within or they're meeting the needs of people that are without, because both groups of people actually live in the community. The people within here don't just float in from Mars. Okay, so that was a little joke. Nobody's here from Mark. You can laugh. And, 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 and the churches do all kinds of things that help to sustain and build up and add strength to a community. Churches help to um, help marriages. They help to strengthen marriages. Uh, they help to support people with addictions. They help to give support to people who have physical or mental illnesses. Churches um, offer child care or support for, for parents, teaching them how to do good parenting. Churches help to reduce loneliness just 
by who they are. They help to reduce loneliness and they help to prevent suicide. Churches help kids and youth develop leadership skills so that those children and youth, they grow up and they become contributing members of society, knowing how to make good choices and to live lives that actually benefit the community. Churches, when they renovate their building and put all kinds of money into trying to make their property, keep it up and keep it good looking, it increases the property value around. It adds to the community and uses usually local businesses to do it. And so people get paid because of churches. And we do all of that. Are you ready for this? We do all of that for less money than the government would pay or private businesses would pay to do that. Churches are good for the community. And somebody goes, well, of course you would say that, Patty. It's very self-serving. I know how it looks. So I found other people. And I went online and I, I, I want to just give you some information. So the Institute for Sacred Architecture, which is online and it's this organization in the States, and, and they released this article and it was this year. And, and I just want to give you a quote from it, okay? This is the Institute for Sacred Architecture. This is what it said. A healthy church congregation and a healthy neighborhood community are indeed interconnected. Many professionals recognize the relationship between healthy churches and healthy neighborhoods. The collaborative nature of Christianity and the process of community building is a natural fit. As a society, we yearn for communities that connect us to our daily necessities and our neighbors. But we don't always follow a development path that will adequately meet these needs. Meeting community needs goes hand in hand with building healthy churches. Wow. How many just learned something just this moment? Just four. Four of you. Good. And and studies have been done in the USA for years out of the University of Pennsylvania. Disclaimer by non-religious people. Okay? Out of the University of Pennsylvania for years, there have been studies done that quantify and measure the good that a church brings to a community, whatever kind of church it is. And it's, it's often known as the halo effect. And recently, there was a similar study that was done in Canada. Yay for Canadian studies. And they, they did a, a study of 10 churches in the Toronto area. One of them is part of the same tribe we're in, Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. And, and they did this study and they based it on the studies that had been done in the States. And it was released this summer and it was called the Halo Project. And here's what I want you to see because this is just going to blow you away. You ready? For every dollar a religious congregation spends on its programs, a city gets an estimated $4.77 worth of common good services. Maybe I should read that again. For every dollar that a religious congregation spends on its programs, a city gets an estimated $4.77 worth of common good services. It's not a pastor talking. These are scholars talking who've done the research and have checked and it's current and was released this summer. Listen, churches are good for communities. Churches are not just this faceless institution or organization that's collecting money for themselves and not paying taxes and and hoarding money that could better be used for the good of society. Churches tend to bring a net benefit to the city that they're in. And if they close their doors, the city suffers an economic loss. So, work with me on the logic, giving to churches then actually makes financial sense. 
Because that is the kind of organization that I want managing my donations. And if I throw in there that this church, which focuses pretty hard on doing good in the community and is looking to increase that more, given that information, I would expect that our contribution to downtown Montreal is at least comparable to $4.77 for every dollar or more. So generosity through the church is a way of life for followers of Jesus. It's just what we do. Turn to the person beside you and go, it's just what she does. So let me tell you how that looks here. It's very exciting. We have a budget. Imagine that. We don't just collect an offering on Sunday and throw it into a tub and hope for the best. We have an actual budget, and here's I'm just going to give you the numbers so that you know what they are. It costs us about $25,000 a week to do everything that we do as a church. And you go, what? Well, it turns out we do more than just be here on Sunday morning. I don't receive $25,000 a week to sit up here and talk. That's what the cost is. It covers our mortgage. It covers all of our missions. We support 11 different families in nine different countries around the world who are doing missions. It does everything we do for kids, for youth. When we promote something, that costs money. When we have pay our staff, when we pay our heat or air conditioning or whatever it is that's on today, making it semi-comfortable in here. Um, in order to be able to email you, it covers the cost of that. It covers the things that we support in the city, like Laji Femme Women's Shelter or Christian Direction, which is an organization down the street that contributes to the good of Montreal. And it also covers our costs for La Campus, which is our Francophone church, which is just around the corner at the Lighthouse meeting right now. So it costs us about $25,000 a week for all of that. That means if you average it out according to our average attendance, it's about $30.18 per person per week. That's what the cost is. Every senior, every adult, every teenager, every child, every infant, that's what it costs. And for a family of four then, it costs us about $120.72 every week. Now let me just stop right here. That's not why I give. I don't give because there are those expenses. I give because I'm a follower of Jesus. And I give because as a Christian, I believe in living generously. And actually, Jeff and I give more than this because we tithe. We've been married 25 years almost, and we give 10%. That's what we do. But that is how our church budget here breaks down. And you go, well, that sounds crazy. Well, I'm just letting you know it's reviewed by outside accountants every year. We have all the checks and balances in place, and none of our staff are getting rich, okay? And so our fiscal year begins July the 1st, and so that by the end of December, we're going to be halfway through. Now, I'm going to give you some statistics on what our giving was in August and in October. I'm leaving September out because September has weird numbers because we had City Reach Broussard, which I'm going to talk about in just a moment. But we need about $25,000 a week. So in August... Our monthly income was $76,144, and if you divide that by the number of weeks, you get $19,036 a week. How much did I say we needed? 25. In October, for the first three weeks, it was 55864 You divide that by three, it's 18621 How much did I say we needed? 25. Now, a small percentage of it comes in through rentals, which is on top of giving, and we're grateful for that, but it's a pretty small amount. And the truth is, more will come in December, because in December, everyone goes, oh, I want my giving to show on my tax receipt. I better get it in before the end of the year. 
I've been through this before, okay? So there's always a surge in December, and I know that. But the truth is, we need more than a December surge if we're going to do well. Now, let me break it down for you a little bit more. Let me give you a little bit more information, okay? We have one bank account. Hold up your finger. One bank account, okay? Three funds, three major funds within that bank account on paper. So the one bank account, and within that bank account on paper, we have the general fund, which covers all of the everything. We have the missions and outreach, which covers missions and outreach. You see how that works? And then we're going to talk about that next week, by the way, and give you an update on some of our missionaries and all that. It's going to be awesome next week. And then the third thing is, is our mortgage or our debt reduction. And, and, and somebody goes, well, this is new. It's not really new. It's a rollover from reimagine. How many were here for reimagine? You know what I mean when I say reimagine. Okay. Reimagine was a three-year project here that was, that it was basically for the renovation of this building. And it also planted a Francophone church and did some other stuff outside of ourselves. But it was mostly, primarily, the renovation of this building. There's all kinds of funds raised for it and that went for it. And so we have, because of that, we have a very manageable mortgage now of 2.1 million, which is manageable in our budget, but it's separate from our general fund because we didn't have a mortgage before. And so now we have one, and I haven't mentioned it very much, so nobody's giving towards it, which is fine. We still make the mortgage payments because it's all one bank account. But on paper, it's behind. And it's behind because I haven't talked about it, and people aren't designating it when they put their offering in their little envelope because nobody wants to give to a mortgage. Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, boy. I sure would be excited to give a little extra to a mortgage. Nobody gets it. They go, I want to give to shoeboxes. I want to give to Pokemon Go. I want to give to something that's doing for kids and youth. I don't want to give to a mortgage. It's fine. You understand, without a mortgage, we don't have this space. And this space and the lighthouse that we have around the corner give us the ability to do all kinds of the ministry that we do. You, You understand that, right? So I'm just letting you know that. Now let me give you a little more information. This year, in September, we helped to launch a brand new church. Awesome. City Reach Brossard, good news. We aimed to raise $15,000 for them. And does anyone remember how much we actually raised? 23, but close. If you want to throw an extra 1000 you go right ahead. <laughs> oh, I see that hand. No, $23,000 was what we ended up giving them, which is fantastic. I love that. Here's the other thing that we ended up giving City Reach Brossard. We gave between, 12 and 15, uh, between 10 and 20 families who now belong to a new church, and they're giving their tithes and offerings to that church when they used to give to this one, and they're doing that as they should. That is absolutely valid, and it's right. And then the other piece of information I want you to know is we have older generations, and I'm making a mass generalization here, but we have older generations who have tithed and given consistently to this church for years. That's why it's still here. And they still do. But they are retired now, and they're living on limited income. So they're still tithing, and they're still giving, but the dollar amount is less. And that is also absolutely valid. But because of those two factors, people going to a new church that we backed and people aging and having their income limited as happens in life, because of those things, we need new people to step into their place. 
We need new people to step in to the, for those who have gone to a brand new church and those who are getting older and who have carried this church for 100 years. And I don't mean go out and recruit visitors or newcomers to the church and put the financial pressure on them. I don't mean that. Don't do that. <laughs> I mean people that are already here who are already part of this church. I mean, a younger generation who choose to give consistent, regular tithes and offerings as part of your faith because you're part of this church. Why? Because I put the pressure on from the platform? No. Because it's what followers of Jesus do. It's what we do. Turn the person beside you and go, she says, it's what we do. It's time for the next generations to step up, you guys. It's time for, for the next generations to take ownership and go, this is my church. And to recognize what's been given for the last hundred years and to understand the joy and the freedom and the fun of living generously and sacrificially and joyfully. This church has been here for a hundred years and now we're in year one of the next hundred and we need some people to step up and say, I'm going to be one of the ones that carries it into the next hundred years. If we really believe that our God is a good God, that he's a generous God, that he's a God that provides and that all we have belongs to him and that a church is something that does good for its community, well, then we're going to need some people to jump in and take the financial place of those that have moved on. Makes sense, right? So let me give you some logistics really quick. We try to make giving really easy to do. And I, I only do this because I've had more people say to me, we don't know how to give. So, okay, I'm telling you how to give. Here's the ways. They're all on our website if you want to look. Number one, you could do online website giving. It's at evangel.qc.ca. You can set up your own account through our website or for a one-time gift or repeating gift. And you can check how much you've given at any time in your own account. Okay? Number two. Text to give, 514-612-0700, and you can use credit if you want to to be able to give. It's paperless, it's easy, it's instant. You can, as the plate goes by or the bag goes by, and it's going to in a few minutes, you can give cash or check or credit or debit. You make out a check to Evangel Church or you put cash and you put it in an envelope with your name on it, and here's the part I want you to get. Print. Okay, turn to the person beside you. Print. Print. There are, I'm telling you, we need a gift, a special spiritual gift of discernment to read some of your handwriting. And then you get mad because your tax receipt doesn't look right. It's because we could not read this. Print, okay? Say it with me, one, two, three. Print. And you put it in there and you drop it in the bag as it goes by. Or you could do online bill payment through your bank and select Evangel Church Montreal as a biller. And all of that's on our website. You can see it. Now, here's, here's how we're going to close this morning. In just a few moments, we're going to take the offering. And I really hesitated about this. I don't like being the person that says finances, take an offering, looks manipulative, looks high pressure, all of that. So I don't like doing that. But the truth is, I actually encourage you to respond to God's word every single Sunday. Every time I go through scripture, I say, you know what? Take a moment and pray. Ask God to show you. Or I say, why don't you come to the front and have someone pray with you? Or I say, why don't you go home and consider this whole thing and figure out? And I do that all the time. And it would be against my own integrity to say, well, I'm not going to do that with this because it feels uncomfortable and I don't like it. I'm not going to look and see what you give. I'm not doing that. All I did was move the offering to the end of the service. That's it. But the truth is, 
This is part of our faith too. Giving, living generously, it's part of our faith to and through our own local church because we know that our church does good for our community, living generously because it's what followers of Jesus do. So I'm going to encourage you in just a few moments to give. I'm going to encourage you to go home this week, talk to your spouse or your family or have a moment with God and go, am I one of the ones that needs to step up? Am I one of the ones that needs to do what we're called to do and pray? And we're going to pause at this moment and even ask God to show us what it is that he wants us to do. So would you just maybe open up your hands, close your eyes just for a moment and ask him, God, you're a good God trust you. It's who you are. And we're loved by you. It's who we are. God, show us. Would you show us our part? Show us the freedom and the fun and the excitement of living generously. Just ask him. Thanks so much, God. Amen.